Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. How do we participate in our society, engage in the institutions that we may be called to, use the technologies for the goods that are there, but not be unknowingly practicing certain habits in such a way that I would argue are training us to live into stories that aren't actually ours? Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and today we're wrapping up a special series of conversations, Gabe, you've been having around the areas of science, technology, and then living lives of character and virtue. And today we wrap up with a look at our devices, how they can control and enslave us, but also how we can live out a countercultural narrative in that space. This is one of those conversations, if you've been around the community here for long, you know we care a lot about this. We believe technology has amazing opportunity to do good for humanity and also has amazing opportunity to do evil to humanity. We want to find that middle ground here where we talk about it with a sense of understanding that it is what it is. It's here. It's part of our lives. We all hold devices, many of us. I, I don't know anybody, I think, that doesn't own a phone that is a smartphone that's connecting them to others and as well to their life. But we also want to rise above that because in some ways we live in this assumption that this just is the way it is. It's the only way we can live. We don't have any options or choices and it's good. And I think today you're going to be so appreciative to hear a perspective on this that helps us think a little bigger about it and to think about what are some of the implications we haven't considered about what this is doing to our minds, to the way we think and operate, to the things we value and worship I don't think you're going to feel down about this. I think you're going to feel encouraged as you hear this conversation with Felicia Wu Song. And she's amazing. She has her doctorate from the UVA. She's out at Westmont College now where she serves as a professor of sociology. But she's a cultural sociologist of media and digital technology. She's written two books. Her most recent one is the one I wanted to dive into with her today called Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood presence and place in the digital age. And you've heard other people that we've had present around these topics, even this most recent year, Andy Crouch, Kelly Capick, Kara Powell. We've, we've talked about technology really since we began our culture summit 15, 16 years ago, because we could see how much it would start to become part of our lives. In fact, I remember in 2009 at our event, our culture summit we did in Austin, Texas, there at the theater downtown on 6th Street. And coming in for an evening session, we had Shane Hips giving a talk, and he was one of the first to talk about the way devices were shaping us. And so everyone who was attending had to check their phone at the door in the lobby. We took their phones, put them in uh, little cases with their names on them, and they had to check their phones, had to come in for the whole evening session without a phone. And the look on their faces that we were asking them to do this was amazing. And, and again, this was just 2009. Could you imagine doing that today, saying you have to put your device, you can't bring it in with you. We're checking it just like we check a coat. I've cared a lot about this because I think if we as Christians can think well about this, we will have so much to offer to our friends, to those who are struggling and don't always know why. 
And I want you today to just take this in. Yeah, and also it'd be great if you can listen with someone else, a friend, your spouse, or even your kids about how our tech can shape us. Let's listen. For those who have been a part of this community for a long time, these are the kind of topics we really like to wrestle with. We, we do understand how much technology is impacting us and that we have some role to play in that and we need to be very responsible with it. And I feel like that's the work that you've done here is helping people think a lot deeper about the devices that, as Neil Postman talks about, um, undo our capacities to think, right? And, and yet we love them. And yet they're undoing something about the way our minds work and they're structured and all of that. And so I want to hear, though, a little deeper from your journey as to why this topic for you? Why, why has this been a subject matter that you've cared so much about helping illuminate for people? I got interested in this topic back in the mid-90s. I was fresh out of college and I was teaching, actually. I was uh, teaching American history at a private school. I know I'm really going to date myself right now, but in the mid-90s, it was when email came and showed up and was introduced to... You've got mail, the, right? <laughs> Yeah. It was introduced, all the students got email. And it was really interesting because it was, a, a you know, like many private schools, it really prized its communal aspect. Um, and we talked about community a lot. But then when the technology came, we didn't have a single conversation about what the email dynamic would do to our relationships, to our community. And that really struck me. That was the first time I really started thinking, wait, what's going on here? I'm watching all my students change in how they spend their time, how they're relating to each other. You know, it was obviously very different then. And I became curious about why we don't have conversations about technology and mass media in general, why we don't have those conversations in society, and how, um, in particular, we don't have those conversations in the church. Um, I actually, around that time, I came upon, you mentioned Neil Postman, I came upon Amusing Ourselves to Death by Postman for the first time. I read it, and I was just, my mind was opened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, wow, there are people actually studying media ecology and asking these questions about how our technology, and often in unintended ways, um, shape the ways that we perceive and engage the world. And so that created a hunger. I, I started reading Marshall McLuhan, and and I wanted to go to grad school. And, and so my interest has just grown as I've read more and, and found other conversation partners uh, through the books that I've read. And as I've been having opportunities to actually talk to people on campuses, at churches, to parents, and obviously as the technology has evolved, it's become increasingly clear that, um, one, this is a conversation we need to be having. So I'm so grateful for communities like yours that are having it. But two, gosh, we we really don't know what we're doing still. Right. Um, our, our lives are completely enmeshed in a a whole array of technologies now. um, And we are overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. So the book really came out of a desire to try to inspire or motivate conversations in communities and also suggest a few possible ways forward. Yeah. 
Felicia, thanks for your pursuit of this scholarship, because I think you're right. To me, there's few more important conversations we could be having than about our technology and how it's enmeshed in our lives and how most human beings at this point aren't thinking deeply about it. Some of it's lack of information, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is uh, the structures by which our society are functioning are continually being designed to press us into the technology mm-hmm. versus extricate ourselves, And yet when we do extricate ourselves for moments, Sabbath or conversation with friends or a dinner where we do forget that we've got emails waiting or text messages or social media, we do feel a sense of being human in a, in a way that I think is unique in a way God designed us. And yet most of us don't know how to how to step back Mm -hmm. and and you know and then there's the arguments which i'd love your opinion on is like the luddite argument of (laughs) can we just give it can can i just stop can i just go be in a cabin and live on my own and not engage these technologies and and you know i have a friend catholic who he's been a part of our conversations at at our culture summits in the past who told me a year ago he was going away to be a hermit because this is part (laughs) of the catholic tradition he's literally going to like west texas and going to be a hermit for a year which meant he literally was not going to have technology and he was fully extricating ourselves and we know the desert fathers did that and there's this rich history in the christian tradition of that kind of efforts but somehow in 2022 it feels like I don't know if that's possible. So I'd love to just hear how you think about this balance here of being in the world, but not of the world, and yet not being enslaved by these technologies that will overwhelm us. Yeah, that's a great question. The Luddite question. The way I come at it is we all have different relationships with technology that are impacted by our livelihood by our family situations, by our personalities. And so some of us might not be in a life situation that can allow us to extricate ourselves from technologies. Others of us may have more leeway and agency to be able to exercise. And so while I too would many days want to just throw it all away, I have chosen certain spaces to remove myself from, right? So for example, maybe one might say I'm I have decided to be a Luddite when it comes to social media, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. I don't have a social media presence. That's one part of my life I've I've decided I'm not going to um, engage in technology. Mm-hmm. But I think especially when writing the book and and after talking to so many people, there's so many ways in which considering the light uh, Luddite option, while that sounds like the radical option, and it certainly is in one regard, it also feels to me like in some respect an easier option in that. And what I mean by that is it's in one respect easier when you just decide to shut it all off, right? So I'm not on social media, so I don't I don't think about it at all, right? I don't have to figure out how to manage it. However, for those aspects of our lives that are continuing to be enmeshed in technologies, whether we have a smartphone or we are on email or what, or on social media or a whole array of things, then it becomes much more challenging with regards to how to develop a relationship with those practices of our usage that is characterized by freedom rather than compulsion 
or I would even use the word enslavement. (laughs) And that's, to me, the space I'm interested in trying to suss out because I feel like that's actually where most people live. Most people, um, whether, again, whether it's work, family, school, you know, if you're a college student, if you choose to be a college student, you can't not use technology these days, right? right? And so that's the part in the book that I try to argue, and I hope that the sociological insight is is helpful to say, when we talk about technology, we're not just talking about devices or platforms or, you know, certain services. We are talking about engaging what is now completely embedded in our institutional lives, mm-hmm. right? Like if you want to go to school, even for many children now, K through 12, you're dealing with technology, right? If you want to go to work for so many people, so much of their work requires engagement and attention to certain technologies. Even the ways that we run our households, if you want to engage with other households and have friends, uh, right? It's, it's just so integral now. So to our institutional, different kinds of social institutions and economic institutions, that to participate means that you need to engage the the digital lives in some way. And so to me, the question is, how do we engage without being beholden to it? I think you're right. It's become such an embedded piece of, of our world. And now we look, and I know you don't write about this in this project, but certainly your work would include just how much the technology is now being embedded in all of our lives. And the devices are a big part of how we are going to be surveilled and Mm -hmm. how our biometric data and and very personal private information is now looked at as just part of public consumption and the internet of bodies. I mean, there's a lot of things people that are listening to this are like, what are you talking about? They've never heard of these things. But they're being developed and built because it seems that there's a vision for this technology that those who design and build really are innovating. They're driven by a view of life that says, we, we want to make humans be more efficient and better. But I talked about this at our last Culture Summit. There's a view of man as a machine that tends to drive this view that can be mechanized. Mm-hmm. And it's a machinist type, mechanist type view of, of human beings that is running rampant right now. And Mm -hmm. it seems you're arguing for Christians to go, wait, we have something unique and beautiful to offer to the world that is called personhood. And so talk a little bit about your conviction here about the countercultural life that we bring to the world that as people start to starve from their addiction and coping using technology and living their lives that way, that what do we have to offer that's different that is appealing? Yeah. So I think what's so challenging about so many of the existing digital technologies and even the ones that you speak of, right, These the, this future um, that is coming really fast <laughs> um, of different ways that technologies can em- be employed to gather data about us and arguably for particular goods. And I think what makes these technologies so challenging in our negotiation of them is that there are actually good things that come out of using these technologies, right? It's not all bad. There are good interactions that can happen through technology. You you can learn a lot, right? There there are goods. And so 
to me, um, I completely agree with you that there is this mechanistic view of humanity. I talk about it in terms of a, a vision of life being about maximal optimization, that that's all we are meant to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, um, and I think for the Christian, this is where I, I like to think about technology as an issue of discipleship. Because for the Christian, the person of faith that has particular commitments about our personhood as being one characterized by relationship as a reflection of who God is in the Trinity, and that relational dimension of ourselves is worked out in our bodies, that we, we carry presence with us. And that that presence is also one that God has designed for us to be embedded in time, embedded in place. And so I think the call for the Christian is how do we participate in our society, engage in the institutions that we may be called to, use the technologies for the goods that are there, but not be unknowingly practicing certain habits in such a way that are that I would argue are training us to live into stories that aren't actually ours yeah <laughs> right that that are training us to live into a story that says actually productivity is what every single ounce of your energy and time spent that's what it's about, yeah. right? Efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. That that's the ultimate good. So many of our practices train us in that way, in ways that we don't we don't even realize, right? right? Um, that we are becoming impoverished, um, mm-hmm. and so that to me is what's so interesting. That it is because we become routinized, or we feel pressures socially or from work or from school, right, to keep up particular ways of doing email, particular ways of being on social media, et cetera, that we aren't critical enough, I guess, of the ways we are being trained. And we don't see that we are becoming consumer-minded in how we treat other people or how we even, quote, market ourselves on social media, because it is the norm, one, in those digital spheres. But I would also argue it is part of a long-standing narrative of consumer culture, of productivity and efficiency in American culture, right? Like these aren't new things that just came up when we started using digital technologies, right? Right. These are these are values and priorities that are longstanding in the Western yeah. tradition. Yeah, they were exacerbated um, maybe through exactly, handheld right. devices. Exacerbated, and- yes, amplified. Yeah. Sped up, right? Yes. Amen and, to that. And you right? talk about this as like a secular liturgy. I think the phrase you use to describe, I think, a lot of what you were just talking about, like we're being formed yes. by a different vision of what it means to be human. And we're not taking mm-hmm. into account God's design maybe if perhaps was human. And I love how much you point out the efficiency thing. I see that in my own life all the time, how much I'm just 
I think the most valuable thing is efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that's a secular liturgy that I've bought into. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily God's economy of how he thinks about time, people, yeah. presence, mm-hmm. um, transformation. And it's convicting when you realize, wow, I'm completely susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. I've built an entire life calendar schedule of plans that are built off of how can I be most efficient? <laughs> Yeah. And like, where did that come from? Where did right. I get that idea that that's, that's serving God well? Yeah. Well, and that's where I think the Christian message or the, the hope that is there in the gospel is actually so beautiful and so just ready for our society to hear, you know, both people in the church and outside of it, because Christianity is a religion, a faith that is premised on abundance, yeah, right? Abundance that God provides for us rather than the scarcity so many of us live by. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to get a handle on like, how do I live into that abundance as a person of faith, right? To me, that's the biggest challenge these days because so much of our society is geared completely in the other direction. And so that's where trying to, you, know, you brought up secular liturgies, and that's a term I borrow from James K.A. Smith's work. Um, you know, he suggests that what Christians need to be doing is developing counter liturgies, right? Like, how can we build practices that actually push against these secular liturgies so we are living into, practicing, train, retraining ourselves? into the abundance that we claim to believe, right? That we we want to experience from a life uh, lived in relationship with God. So that's where I think the work is, right. right? That's where as church, we need to be creative and smart about looking into our traditions. And I think that's where um, the contemplative tradition I think it's actually really interesting. Uh, that's an area that I'm personally interested in exploring right now because it's one that I think addresses exactly so many of the downsides of our digital lives right now. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating. I love the work that you're doing. In conclusion, would you just speak to the pastors, leaders, business leaders, parents listening to this, like me, feeling like, man, I'm I've got so much work to do. <laughs> like I'm I'm just caught up in the use of this and I don't know where to start. I'm a little overwhelmed. It's just easier to keep doing things the way I've been doing them because it's familiar. I think you've given us a good taste of like the value of change. What would be a good step people could take as they look at their week ahead and go, let me do something to extricate myself a little bit from what I'm currently doing so that maybe I can leave some space to reconsider how much this technology is forming me. Yeah, and, you know, um, I'm a firm believer in the small step um, because most of us can't do more than that. (laughs) Um, And so what I usually recommend is, if you don't do it already, is to think about the 15 minutes when you wake up, first when you wake up, and the 15 minutes before you go to bed. If you can make those 15 minutes tech-free in some way, And for some of us, that means not having the phone or devices in the place where we rest um, because we're so weak that if it was next to us, we would just pick it up, right? Um, So creating that 15 minutes of of bumper 
to your rest, Mm -hmm. I think actually can be super fruitful or if not fruitful, at least give you insight into what some change could look like, right? And so um, taking those 15 minutes or even if you're driving, rather than listening to an amazing podcast like this, right, Um, or music, if you're alone, actually not doing anything but driving, right? Um, It's what Sherry Turkle and I like to call monotasking, right? Borrow it from Turkle, right? Just drive. Monotasking. Um, Just be, right? Just be in the place and do the thing you're doing or waiting online at the supermarket. Don't check your phone. Just stand there. Yeah. And wait. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. And and those are the little experiments that I encourage people to do and just find out what that's like. For some of us, it's going to be scary. And for others of us, it might be super relaxing. Whichever one it is, it, it's not a judgment on anything, right? It's just, it's helpful to start, you know, finding out, okay, what what's going on here yeah. in my in my life with the tech? Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and that might motivate some change. again, thank you for listening to the special Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons as we're wrapping up the series on science and living lives of virtue. And Gabe, that was a really helpful conversation you had with Felisa Wu Song looking at our technology and living with our technology in wise and often countercultural ways. I really enjoy this because I think there's not as many Christians thinking well about this as we should. And I think it implicates us as parents, as pastors, as leaders, in how we lead our institutions and how do we make room for being in person? How do we make room and space for this and not just run with the cultural norms that are being created for us that are all about efficiency? I walk away from this more convicted about my desire to be efficient. And I'm going to be thinking on that a lot more. And what are some changes I can make this week that would challenge me in that area? And so I hope for you, you took away something that you can invest in you taking time this week to be intentional. Maybe it's just standing in that supermarket line and not looking at your phone like everybody else around you will be doing. Whatever it might be, take a small step as we all work to be the kind of people that are not only thinking well, but doing good and trying to improve the ways in which we come into life and we come into relationship with others. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.